This morning we are continuing in our study on and series on the identity that we as Christians have in Christ. And uh, so as we begin this morning, if you would join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that we have an opportunity today to share in your word. We ask that through your Holy Spirit, you'd open our minds and our hearts that we might hear and understand and see truths that we could apply to our lives as well as to enjoy just recognizing the awesomeness of who you are in our lives already. And just thank you for the time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we've been talking about the idea to be a Christian uh, is, is different categories that we've looked at or, or, or uh, different words that Christ and the Scriptures apply to us. We are a chosen people, for instance. We've talked about that. We are people who have been justified. Uh, and I, I always like the old way of presenting the thought justified. Justified never sinned. That's how God sees us through the, what Christ has done. We're sanctified. We shared about the idea of being set apart to be holy, to be God's chosen people. And we're adopted. And what that means to be drawn into the family and and joint heirs with Christ and to share in the inheritance of of Christ. And all of that to say that we are children or we are a child, each individually, a child of God. And to be a part of, and and as a result, we are a part of the church together. And uh, Rebecca was mentioning the idea of, of, of how we are a part of the uh, to know that you're part of a family that's covering you and praying for you and, and all of that. We have that together, but we are only a part of the overall picture of all believers in Christ through the, through the ages you know, is, is all what makes up the church. And so we are a part of the church. And there's other words that uh, we haven't come on this one yet, but the body of Christ, which we'll be looking at shortly, but... Uh, soon, but but today we're looking at the idea of the bride of Christ, to be the bride of Christ. And uh, if you are a Christian, you are also the bride of Christ. You are part of the church, which is the bride of Christ. And that's kind of an awkward thing, you know. Uh, at least it was for me when I first became a Christian, because I I'm thinking in terms of masculine, feminine types of things and all this kind of stuff, and we kind of have to separate ourselves from that when we start to look at it from a spiritual point of view. Uh, but still, the name, the description of the church and stuff like this, and even in the songs that we sing, we don't say him, we say her. The reason why we say that is because we are the bride of Christ, and 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 in that sense. Uh, we are in submission to Christ. And, 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 and I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, so the idea of looking at, at, at a bride and a wedding, uh, I was first looking at it from the standpoint of what we involve ourselves in with weddings today. Uh, kind of, you know, a number of thoughts. You say, so, so-and-so was a beautiful bride at a wedding. You're, as, if I were to say that to you, you would automatically have a picture probably of some wedding that you've attended or been to, and you'll see a picture in your mind of a bride uh, possibly dressed in the white gown and all of those things. I, I, for some reason, I dwell on the very first wedding I ever did. And I have been to a lot of weddings and done a lot of weddings, uh, but the very first one I did was my little sister's. And, and, and that's the one that sticks in my mind when I picture, I, I still see her in her wedding gown and all of the, the fun of that day that it was such a, a, a special day. But 
you, you have observations, you have experiences with weddings, so you have these pictures of what a wedding is like. Um, the, the bride, you know, is, uh, today, uh, we would say is, is the, fo- frequently you, is the focal point of the wedding. We have that picture of, of, uh, preparing and planning. Those of you who have, uh, think back either of your own weddings or planning, uh, being involved even more so if you've had a child that you were involved in planning the wedding for, uh, this type of thing. And, and all of the stuff that goes into that, trying to make everything come about just perfect. So the day will be beautiful, be wonderful, be a great experience for everybody involved, from the bride to the groom to all of the guests. And uh, then you get to the actual wedding day. And the, the, everything finally comes down to that focal point where what happens? You see, the music makes a transition, the bridal march starts, and the bride comes down the aisle, escorted normally by her dad. Uh, but it's, it's, it's that picture of the bride coming in. And at that point, my, my mind switches to my own wedding. And I, to this day, can still see Kathy coming down the aisle. And, uh, and, and, and what a, uh, you know, you just, it's like everything freezes for a moment. At least it did for me. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so here's this, this relationship that's uh, to be, you know, entered into. Then the wedding vows and the exchange, and then the wedding dinner, and then the, we're off and, and, and to our honeymoon, you know, uh, type of thing in a, in a traditional wedding today. And while numbers of the, those parts are in what we would call a, uh, a wedding at the time of Jesus, uh, there's a lot of differences as well. And, and for us, for instance, when we think of, of a person that gets married, it's normally, I have met the person that I'm going to, that I relate to, that I dated, that I went around with, and, and, and after a while we fall in love, and then we say, oh, we want to get married, and I'll ask her to marry me. And then I tell my parents, you know, this is who I'm going you know, to marry. And, and I may have done, which I did, ask the father permission first, but uh, the, the idea is that the parents don't make those choices for us. Generally speaking, we make it. Well, that's the first big difference in a wedding that goes back to the New Testament times. And so let's, I want to look at a wedding of the New Testament times so that we can really get an understanding of what it is to be the bride of Christ because it has, it's, not anything, it's not like what we've experienced today in our, in our weddings. First off is, is the betrothal. Uh, kind of like an engagement period, if you will. But it's an agreement that is between the father of the groom and the father of the bride. In other words, the, the father of the groom and the father of the bride have gotten together and decided to bring their son and their daughter into a relationship that will unite that family. Uh, a lot of times it had to do with, with uh, you know, overall uh, picture of the family in, 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 in the community and, and how... You know, things were done and all this stuff. The kid, you could be children. And sometimes as young as, you know, in your first year of life and be betrothed to another. And that betrothal is 
fixed. Once the fathers sign the agreement, that's a covenant that has been entered into. It's not your option. You can grow up together and be friends, or you might, maybe you won't be friends, but you're still going to get married uh, because it's what the the father and the, the the fathers have decided. And so the betrothal is as fixed as what we have in our marriage today. We don't, you know, boyfriends, boy, girlfriends, engagements today, you know, and that's why I'm careful about not using the word engagement. I hear so many things: betrothal or engagement. No, it's not like our engagement. If, if we decide not to get married, we break the engagement. How is it broken? Generally by returning of a ring and, and, and words of saying so long. You know, uh, But it's, 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 it's not a, a legal matter. A betrothal can only be broken by a, a, a divorce document being filed and signed and, and worked out. This should sound a little bit familiar to you. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, when he finds out that Mary is pregnant, is thinking about what? Having a divorce. Divorcing her. Okay? Quietly, because he, as a righteous man, he, he didn't want to, to hurt, but he was, you know, this, this isn't my child. <laughs> we haven't been together, because that was the other thing. But in the betrothal time, they, were, they didn't live together. They weren't together at all. And, and so Joseph is, is trying to figure out what to do. And the thing that came to his mind was that I will quietly divorce her. And that would have taken the, the elders from the gate and a lot of different things to, to make happen. And it would be a breaking of the covenant that had been established. The betrothal. Now, we all know that an angel uh, came and, and, and spoke to to. to Joseph and everything changed after that, and he realized that, that what was going on. But the, the picture was, in order to break the betrothal, it took a, another document, and it was actually the breaking of a covenant that had been made. The betrothal, the covenant, was something important to the people, and it wasn't taken lightly. During that time of betrothal, there was also another thing that happened, and that was there was a price paid by the uh, bridegroom's family or by the bridegroom to the bride's family in, as, as to part of the covenant agreement. And people will say, what was the purpose of that? And I've read so many different things. And part of it was to show that you had the means to be able to take care of the bride and a lot of other aspects of that. But this was part of the custom. The father of the bride received the dowry, if you will. We're, that's the opposite of, of if there is a dowry in our cultures back years ago. It came from the bride to the, to the bride's family to, the, to the, the bridegroom's family. So we're the op- this was the opposite, the the, the, the the bridegroom paid a price to be in a relationship with his bride. And so, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's a, with all of that established, then there was a time during the betrothal, there were things that were supposed to be happening. Uh, the husband was to prepare a home for them. And the home was most often at, within the framework of his family side, uh, of their properties and home. 
In other words, some of the description says bridal chamber, uh, that they would be, which would be a room in his family's home that would become their place. Or it might be a home on their father's estate, this type of thing. But the idea was is that he was to prepare a place for her. So, my betrothed, I paid the, the price, and now I am taking the time to prepare a place. There will be no wedding until the place is prepared. And that's my responsibility as the, the, the bridegroom. When the place is prepared, it's complete, the groom returns for the bride. Comes in a procession. People will join into the procession as it goes along. And there's normally a, 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 a trumpet blast going along with it and loud shouts uh, uh, going along with it. So it's like with a trumpet call and a shout, you know, he comes through in a, in, a, in a procession to call his bride out. Then they join. she joins the procession and they all together go to the wedding feast. Now, somebody's going to be looking for the intimate ceremony like we have in a wedding. thing. It didn't happen that way. That's, in a sense, already in a, in, in a roundabout way that we had the patrol. That was the, the, the signing of the papers made the marriage the legal thing. So, you know, it's, the vows, in a sense, have been exchanged. They're assumed. Um, and, and there would be just this great wedding feast. And, and uh, we've got parables and pictures in Scripture that, uh, about the marriage feast uh, to give us an idea of the people gathered. They dressed in their best dress and, and, and shared at the time together, celebrating the consummation, if you will, now of the marriage. The people that were getting married have probably known within their community and known how long, you know, they, oh, that's, that's Joseph, he's betrothed to Mary. Or that's Mary. She's betrothed to Joseph. And that may have been going on for a long period of time. Everybody knew whose betrothed was, you know, who was betrothed to who. And uh, so they, they come, uh, the bride comes, or uh, joins the procession. The bridegroom comes uh, with loud trumpet and shouts and, and celebration. So this traditional wedding context now is used in Scripture in describing the relationship of Jesus Christ and His church as well. Jesus Christ is called the bridegroom. The church is called the bride. The wedding arrangement, the covenant relationship, the betrothal was made before the foundation of the world. Again, here we go back to that picture of of you were chosen before the foundation of the world. You were you were made you know all before the, before the foundation of the world. This was was the plan, and the groom bridegroom would come, and that would be you know Jesus Christ. And, but it was the arrangement, the betrothal was established before the foundation of the world. Now someone's going to look at that and you, and and think, man, what a long engagement, <laughs> because we're talking millenniums. But when you start talking about eternity, millenniums mean nothing. When we've been there 10,000 years, if we sing a song that talks about that, it'll be just like the day we arrived. So, while it seems to be a long period of time this way, when we see it, it look back on that day that the, the wedding happens, the, the, the ceremony and the wedding feast, 
we will look at it and say, wow, what a, what a brief moment that was. So before, and also, what was established before the foundation of the world was what the purchase price would be. And the purchase price for the church is the cross. That's the price Jesus paid. And it's not just the idea of the suffering of the cross itself, but it's the suffering of the Savior as a sacrifice on the cross. Realizing that what what Paul says when, when Paul says he became sin for us, there is the suffering on the cross. Yes, he suffered in the physical sense, but, but quite candidly, it was a very brief time on the cross compared to some people on the cross and their crucifixions. Some of them were, were done in such a way and, and given water and, 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 and sustenance a little bit along the way that they would keep people alive on the cross for, for days. So, understand that the real suffering of the cross isn't the pain of the nails and and that suffering. Although that, to me, in itself, is amazing that the God of all creation would go and do that. It should be amazing to us that He would become a man and and empty Himself, as, as Paul puts it in Philippians, and become a man to serve us and to save us. So all of that should be in the process of amazingness of what our bridegroom has done to pay the price. To purchase us as his bride. So Jesus is preparing for us a place. And uh, he tells the the disciples uh, in John chapter 14 uh, very clearly, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. And uh, he, you know, makes it clear though at that point in time that He will return as well. He will come for us. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 gives us some, some light in this. It says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That is the procession, if you will, the coming into the the wedding feast. Uh, Today's reading in in the, the book of Revelation also uh, spoke to that, and I just read it again. It says, uh, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out. Again, announcing something that draws the attention of the people. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with white fine with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And I want to emphasize just this little phrase, it was granted her. Because it's important to catch that. She was not able to do this on her own. 
There was a, she was granted to, to be able to do this, but it was because something from the outside came in to, to, to make, the, the, make it happen. That comes back to the cross. So the betrothed, uh, betrothal between Christ and the church was, like I said, made before the foundation of the world. The price uh, of the bride was paid at Christ, uh, by Christ at the cross. We are in that waiting period, waiting for the bridegroom, for Christ, to return as the, bride to the, church, as the bridegroom to the church or His bride. During this waiting time, like I said, one part of it is it says that there's a place being prepared for us and, and uh, the actual Scripture reading would have been John 14 too. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. In other words, Jesus is doing what the bridegroom would do. It's a picture of that marriage. The bride is also being, during this whole time, the bride is also being made ready for the wedding day. This is where that granted comes in. We are being made ready for the wedding day. We are being sanctified to be set apart Made holy. We're being separate from the, being separated, pulled away from the rest of the world. We're being prepared to be in the presence of God. This process that we go through is, is, is done by submitting to the Holy Spirit in us. Look at Ephesians. Chapter 5, probably one of the other clearest pictures of the idea of the bride and the church. It's couched in the middle of a, of, of, a, of a teaching from Paul in reference to marriage. Husbands, wives, this type of thing. But I'm just going to pick up at, at uh, uh, well, I'm, I'll just read the whole passage. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. This body, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is where I want to focus in a minute. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their bodies, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what Paul is saying is everything I've shared to you about marriage is that you will understand that within the Christian framework, when somebody looks at your marriage, they're to catch a glimpse of the church, the relationship of Christ and the body of Christ. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so this picture of, uh, that we have here is that it comes through us submitting through the, through the Holy Spirit in us, submitting to Christ, molding us, shaping us, changing us 
We start with verse 25. It says that Jesus gave himself up for, and you notice he doesn't say the church, he just says her. Gave himself up for her. Verse 26, the purpose was to sanctify her. And we've already talked about the idea of, of sanctify with a message a few weeks ago, but the idea, of, again, of being set apart to be made holy, pulled away from the world, to not be like the world. And so the purpose of, of this sanctification is that by the washing of the water of the Word, we're talking about the Scriptures coming into play here. It, this idea of the washing of the water, some, some talk about it as being having to do with baptism, but this is a, the way it's phrased here in the, in the endings of the word. And I'm not a Greek scholar. I have to take Greek scholars' words for this. But, but they, they said that the way the, it's put here and the endings that are used on the Greek words, this is a continuous process. We don't continually get baptized. <laughs> but this washing of the, by, the, by the water of the word is, is the idea of the word continually making a change in us. The Word is supposed to be continually making a change in us. God gave us the Word to do that. He gave us the Word, and, and the awesomeness is, is that we have it, each of us have it. You've got it on your phones, you've got it on your tablets, you've got it on your computers, you've got it in book form. Uh, you know, there's, there's no reason for us to not be engaging and allowing the Word to enter into us in such a way that it is changing our lives. That it is sanctifying us. Washing us. A continuous action. And why is, it, is this to happen? It's to present the church to Himself, to Christ, the bridegroom, in splendor. And I'm thinking in splendor, coming back to that idea of, of the bride in all her glory. But the idea here of in splendor is actually defined for us. Without spot. A spot would be a visible defilement or, or, or decay or corruption. Without any visible corruption. Without wrinkle. Which means there's no sense of age, corruption, decay, or death. Without blemish. With absolutely no imperfection. Well, what's our response to this? To, to come alongside this? If this is what the Word says that we are to become... How do we participate in it? How do we do this? And Scripture even gives us an answer for that. If you look in, in the, the book of Romans, chapter 12, Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is something that only a believer can do. Because it requires the Holy Spirit changing us even to want to do it in the first place. The world doesn't want to do this. In fact, the world looks at us as, as, as uh, I, I hear terms of, of, well, religion is just a crutch to get you through uh, uh, the, the world. You know, something that, that holds you up, you know, some placebo almost like that. 
And I, when I hear that, I automatically think, no, the, church, the, 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 the you know, my relationship with Christ is not a crutch. It's my wheelchair. I can't move without Him moving me. I certainly can't move towards Him unless He's involved. He is the one that's making this transition. As I submit, His Word washes and things begin to change as to the way I think, the way I do things, the way I look at things. All of us have experienced that in our walk with Christ. We're not the people we started out as when we first became Christians. We're less of the world and more of the kingdom of God. And it's because we're not you know, being conformed, made like the world. We're being transformed, metamorphosed into what God wants us to be without wrinkle, without blemish, without spot. But all of this is being done through Christ coming into us. Christ choosing us. Christ making this happen. Christ going through the cross for our sake. We're told in the Sermon on the Mount that we uh, are to desire to be uh, with Christ. Well, uh, just look at Matthew uh, chapter 6. Uh, verse 33, very familiar verse. It just says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, as we seek the kingdom of God, as we seek His righteousness, these things start to happen. These things will be added unto us. In chapter 7, uh, it, he verily, very simply says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And, uh, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So many people use this as a kind of the name it and claim it stuff. I, I really would like to have this or that or whatever, and I pray for it and just exactly the way, I, if you're really good at name it and claim it, you pray for exactly how many, you want a new desk and how many drawers it has and the color and all of this kind of stuff, and God will, because He loves you, will grant it. So you have to ask, though. You have to seek it. Yeah, that's not what these verses are about. It is, is the idea of, of, of seeking Christ and, and having the things He's promised us. Do you want to be without spot? Do you want to be without blemish? Do you want to be without wrinkle? You seek Him first and His righteousness. How do we do that? Through being in the Word and studying the Word and letting it wash us and cleanse us. 1 John chapter 4 uh, gives us some uh, insight where John speaks about testing the spirits and seeing if, if it be from God or of the world. And it's, he has a real simple statement. He says, if it confesses Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Now when John, you've got to understand, when John uses the, the, the picture, when Je, you know, that Jesus Christ come in the flesh, he means all the things that the, the Scripture refers to is to Going back to what, like Paul said, Jesus emptying himself, leaving his, his heaven, that he is the Son of God. All of that is part of that confession. But we confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. In other words, that God is the, the one who leads. God is the one who provides. God is the one who saves. All of that is tied to that, to that thought. If it doesn't confess Jesus Christ, it's not of God. 
It's just that simple. It's either going to support the Word and Jesus Christ or it's going to deny it. And for John, there was no in-between. You can't kind of sit on the fence and say, oh, I like this part of the Word, but I don't accept this part of the Word. I like this, and I don't like this. And hunt and choose and pick and, 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 and try to decide what it is you want your faith to be. It's a faith that seeks first the kingdom of God. It seeks first His righteousness. It seeks first His face. And asks for His will to be done in our lives. And what is His will? That we will be washed with His Word and seen ultimately and finally. And it will be accomplished. Paul makes that clear. What he has started, he is going to complete. It will be accomplished. And there's nothing, in Romans chapter 8, it says that there's nothing created that can separate us from this promise. So test the Spirit. See whether it's drawing you towards the world. Is it teaching drawing you towards the world? Is, is, is this worldly way of thinking? Or is it drawing you in, uh, into a relationship with Christ and strengthening your walk? And, every, and we're called to test everything that way. You know, what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, all of it. And I know that that, at least for me, in my world of, of looking at things, that, you know, I, I find myself in the middle of the day and thinking, uh, gosh, I haven't even really thought about the Lord yet today. Or, or you know, since, since I got up this morning. And I, and I look at that and I think, wow. I, have a, I think you've heard this before, but I, an acquaintance of mine who said his, he, it was right when digital watches had come out, you could set it to, to go off on the hour. And he set his to go off five minutes after the hour so that it would be unique. It wouldn't be something that would draw your attention to a particular 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, but like 105, 1, 2.05, this type of thing. It would just beep, beep. And when he heard that, it was the reminder, have you given any thought to the Lord in the last hour? And he said, just a quick look out the window or, or uh, around uh, just to, to, to think of, of something quickly that would remind him that God is real. God is, is there. And I thought it's, 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 a, it's a sad thing that we need a reminder like that, but it, it, it was a teaching lesson for me. Uh, I don't wear a watch, but the idea is, is that we need to be ready to engage in our, our walk with Christ at any point in time in the day. To be aware as we look through the world, to have His eyes, His ears, His heart. And to be compassionate and caring within the body and outside of the body. So, all of this that we've talked about is, is in place because Christ loves His, his bride. So much that he came to save her. And, and it really to save her from herself. <laughs> you know, uh, Max Lakato has a, a whole thing about this, this stately prince who comes to, to, uh, you know, to fall in love with this, this woman and, and be, they become betrothed and everybody is so surprised that he would choose such an ugly bride. So full of blemishes and wrinkles. Imperfections. 
And it goes a long ways to get to the end of it, but the idea is at the end when the bride is presented, she's perfect. All because of what the bridegroom has done. He loves us so much that the cross happened. He emptied Himself and the cross happened so that we could become His bride. I think that's an amazing picture. And it's an amazing and powerful thought. And so as we go into communion today, just that realization, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we hear that, we see that. In fact, sometimes we get to the point where we see it so often at, at baseball games, football games, whatever, that, that we don't even think about it. Maybe we should, every time we see that, stop and re- rehearse the verse in our mind and be thankful. You know, I don't know what that person's intent is, but it, 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 you know, be thankful that He has chosen us to be His bride and then made it possible to happen. Ask the worship team to come up. I'd ask the ushers to come and... Uh,